Hi, I'm Rick Steves. So much of Central America has been immersed in conflict and turmoil, but a few secluded corners are attracting more and more North American visitors. The peaceful shores and mountains of Costa Rica have become popular for travelers seeking adventure, culture, and nature. Whether on a solo trek, family vacation, or even as a place to retire, it's Central America's most popular destination. And it's one of the, the most biologically intense places on Earth. And it's where the few remaining jaguars roam, and you can see scarlet macaws and crocodiles, and it's just amazing. Erin Van Rienen, who left her home in California to make a new one in Costa Rica, has written a guidebook on her adopted homeland. She's here to take your calls in the hour ahead. Raise your travel dreams to their upright and locked positions as we venture to Costa Rica. It's coming right up on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. On today's Travel with Rick Steves, we're learning about Costa Rica. This lush, scenic country is the most popular Central American destination for North Americans. We'll find out why from our guest, Aaron Van Rienen, author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica. We'll also take your calls and emails. 877-333-RICK is our number, or email us at radio at ricksteves.com. First, let's see what your travel plans are as we open the phones and email on Travel with Rick Steves. Anne in Las Vegas, thanks for calling. What are you thinking about? I had a question. We go to uh, Portugal, Portugal quite a bit. And I notice in all of your, your TV shows, we've just been out here for about a year. We just moved out here. And all you always talk about Salema. We've never been there. We've gone to many, many other places. And I just wondered what other places in Portugal would you recommend outside of your, your concentration on Salema? Well, you know, when I do my, my research, my whole notion is when I'm putting a guidebook together is to find the best um, uh, sites for people who have limited vacation time. We Americans have the shortest vacations in the rich world, and I don't want to cover just every city in Portugal. I've visited a lot of towns, and the cities and the towns and the villages and the beaches that I find are the best mm-hmm. are the ones that I cover. And I've, you know, this all originated when I was a tour guide, and I would be going, I would actually be driving my minibus tours around with no reservations, mm-hmm. just looking for good places. And uh, several years in a row, I was exploring the Algarve, because in the old days, it was considered the last undiscovered tourist frontier. Yeah. Well, any place that's the last undiscovered tourist frontier, if it's famous for that, it's no longer that. <laughs> and much of it was going the way the Costa del Sol, you know, becoming just paved over and lots of condos. But I looked at towns and towns and towns, and I found uh, Salema. And I found that 20 years ago, and every year I go back, I go back almost every year, and I'm just crossing my fingers and hoping that it hasn't really sold out. And every time I drive down that humble little road and I find the beach, I see uh, the fishermen hanging out. I just went uh, fishing for octopus with one of them last year. Oh. Fascinating. They still fish for octopus like they did in, in ancient times with the pottery pots that would they'd uh, tie to ropes and drop down about a meter apart, and, and the octopus would think it's a hideout and they'd crawl in uh-huh. and then in the next morning they'd go out and yank them up and so much for that octopus he's on the dinner table tonight <laughs> in the restaurant right on the beach um the character is there in salema of course there's some more comfortable hotels now and uh, guest houses and a, a laundromat and a cyber cafe and so on but salema more than any place on the entire south coast of portugal to me keeps its character and uh, i just i just feel pretty confident i know what my travelers are looking for mm-hmm. It's very close to the southwest tip of Portugal called Cape Sagres, which is sort of the land's end of Europe. And that has a wonderful, wistful kind of historic ambience because that's where Prince Henry the Navigator had his uh, right. his school for his uh, navigators. And, and they were pushing the boundaries of where the um, traders could go and so on. Um, have you traveled in Portugal a lot? Oh, yeah. We've been, uh, we had gone back almost every year. What we haven't been since uh, 2001. Okay. And, of course, um we're looking to go back again. In fact, we were thinking seriously of moving there, but decided not to. Why would you decide not to? Um, uh, primarily health issues. Okay. We're retired. You know, because they're... Primarily looking ahead, yeah. you know, and saying, is this going to make sense later on down the road? 
It's a beautiful place. We love it. And there's a big expatriate community of Americans and English people on the south coast of Portugal. They even have their own English-speaking radio station. Ah, I I know I subscribe to their newspaper. Oh, you do? Oh, I get that. Oh, well, you know what's going on. Every Friday. Yeah. And And, uh, the place we've always gone to is Tavira, but the last time we were there, it had changed a great deal. Tavira is my second favorite town. It's ah. on the south coast. It's much bigger than Salema. Yeah. But I just cannot imagine people hanging out in Portimao or uh, Faro <laughs> or Lagos. Um, oh, yeah. Because those are so commercialized. And, you know, I find they're filled with Europeans looking for a change in weather but not a change in culture. Right, they right. just You know, English and Scots and Norwegians fly down there to hang out on the beach. Uh-huh. Nothing wrong with that. But when I go to the beach in little villages in Portugal, I'd rather see traditional Portuguese communities and so on. Right, right. So that's the south coast. Uh, what about your experience on the interior of Portugal? Well, we've uh, obviously we fly into uh, Lisboa, but mm-hmm. we've been there many times, and we've gone around, you know, to Sintra and uh, Estoril and whatnot. So we've, you know, been to a number of different places. Have you been to Coimbra? Uh, yes. <laughs> I, I love Coimbra. It's the historic capital and sort of the... Oxford of the country in a way because it has right. the university and still has that wonderful mix of university students and uh, the regular commerce and uh, a lot of not not any of the big city problems of Lisbon. It's a little more charming, small townish, but still it's just drenched in history. Yeah, well, one place we haven't been uh, is uh, farther north to Porto. We've never been there. Yeah, I plan to do a lot of research up there because everybody loves the Douro Valley, and and, uh, Porto's just a big, gritty city, but uh, inland from there is some of the real backdoor wonders of Portugal that I'm going to bone up on. Uh Uh-huh. All right. Hey, well, thank you so much for your call, Anne. I hope that gives you uh, a few ideas. You've got to check out Salema. Okay, I I am. And um, when you're there, there's um, an Englishman who's sort of uh, retired there, and he runs a little uh, B&B or a little guest house. His name's John. Okay. cozy little refuge there if you want to live comfortably on the beach. And every morning, the market comes in on, on flatbed trucks. And they oh, play the um, okay. Overture 1812 on their horns. <laughs> and it wakes you up. And then you know that the, um, the the fruit and vegetables are for sale and the ladies with their sweaters and so oh, on. It's neat. got that funky charm that you don't find in a lot of other um, places that are just covered with condos. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Well, happy travels, Anne. Thanks thank for you. your call. Okay. I know. Bye-bye. Kevin emails us from Carlton, Texas. Kevin asks, Rick, you have done travel skills. How about a show on living, studying, and working abroad? That's how my wife and I met. Kevin, I'd love to be an expert on that, but I'm not. Uh, my focus is on traveling around Europe quickly and doing all the sightseeing, you know, and uh, I'd, I'd love to have the luxury of time and, and study abroad or live or work over there, uh, but that's just not my uh, traveling cup of tea. I would recommend a great publication called Transitions Abroad. It's a magazine that focuses on the information needs of people planning on studying and working overseas. Transitions Abroad. We have Jeff on the line in La Quinta, California. Thanks for your call. What are you thinking about? Um, first of all, I should say I should be on commission because I've sold so many of your books to my, my friends who are traveling over there. The pull-out section idea is such a great idea, and I really enjoyed them very much. Oh, thank you very much. The pull-out section means just ripping out a chapter and giving it to somebody. You betcha. I love doing that. There's something about ripping out, here's Paris, and you staple it together, you give it to them, and you know you've made a big difference in their trip. You bet. Whatever guidebook you're using, if, if it's a good guidebook, rip it up and let people use it. Uh, that's what guidebooks are for. They are $20 tools for $3,000 experiences. Uh, I heard you say you were going to go to Portugal. I, I've been there the last four years. I One little town in the north that I really enjoyed a lot was a town called Bijou, and the Hotel Grau Vasco there is gorgeous, so... Really? Viju? Yes. Viju. V-I-S-E-U. Okay. Right in the middle of the Dow wine region. Okay, good. i got to remember that. Beautiful. Uh, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks both in Paris and in London, and seeing how hotel rooms there have gotten almost to the point of being four and $500 a night, thought about uh, some other people I know and have rented apartments right. for a couple of weeks in places, and wonder if you had any experiences and ideas about those. Yeah, there are... In in uh, all over Europe, there are places that rent by the week that will obviously save you money over going to hotels by the day, and a lot of them co- are all, almost all of them I would say would come with cooking facilities. If you're renting a place for a week, they assume you want to cook there, and that's a huge sort of disguised savings is having an opportunity to avoid um, restaurant costs. Although for me, part of the fun of traveling in in these great cities is going out to to a meal. 
Um, I have not spent a lot of time researching specific uh, week and two-week accommodations uh, options in these cities because most of my travelers are traveling around pretty fast. Right. But I've, but I've stumbled onto a lot that are really great. And just kind of paging through my London guidebook here, I'm finding there's a lot of um, places that are designed for just alternatives. There's the War- Norwegian YWCA. This wouldn't help you, I'm afraid. It's for women under 30 or men with Norwegian passports. Now, isn't that an interesting scam? But um, this is dirt cheap, and they include dinner, and it's like $30 a night per person. So in London, that would be a good option. There's the Methodist International Center, and it's um, a Christian residence that uh, is filled with international students, but it's got lots of empty rooms, and it's like staying in a big international dorm. Very comfortable, very modern, and for London, very inexpensive, about $100 a night for a double, and your two-course buffet dinner is about $15 a night. Uh, so there's these kind of creative options. If you went and searched on the web for um, apartments in London or something like this, you would find plenty of places that way. I would remind you that the biggest um, economic development for budget accommodations in London these days are the big, high-rise, cookie-cutter, no-character, Motel 6 kind of places, county halls and so on. And for £80, that's about $140 a night, they offer a room that is the same price for two adults or up to a family of four. Now, that's London. And, uh, Jeff, London is the most expensive city in Europe from an accommodations point of view. Paris, Paris, on the other hand, is a great value. And I don't know if I would really be so aggressive about avoiding hotels in Paris, Jeff, because I live very well in Paris for uh, $100 a night or less for a double room. And uh, there are budget hotels that are far less than that. I would say hotel costs in Paris are half what they are in London. All right. Well, we'll, we'll take a look again. Maybe I'm just looking in the wrong areas. Yeah. Paris is a good value. Um, and uh, I would remind you that there are certain um, government requirements that enable a place to get three stars. And if you can find a place that physically can't put an elevator in, or um, doesn't have a you know an all-night staff or certain uh, niceties that really we don't need to pay for for on a budget. You can find a, a good, well-chosen, family-run, uh, clean, comfortable one- or two-star hotel for half the price of a three-star hotel, and that's a bigger savings yet. So good luck on your travels. All right, good idea. Thanks for the show, Rick. Thank you very much, Jeff. Eight seven seven three 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 Rick. This is travel with Rick Steves. Yo no quiero un país a la sombra de la vida. Yo no quiero a mi nación en plena luz dormida. No quiero ver a mi tierra rematando su honor en un mercado de espirros, traficantes de dolor. Yo quiero a mi patria clara, presta al sol de la mañana que madruga cada día. Para iniciar la esperanza y en el fondo de la noche divisar mi luna blanca iluminando el futuro con la luz de tu mirada. Ah, este son amada es mi amor mi vida yo lo canto al alba y al caer el día abriendo el futuro lo levanto entero con su sangre vivo por su vida muero. It's got pristine beaches and incredible bananas. From volcanoes to cloud force to the best bird watching you can imagine, we're talking the Switzerland of Central America. It's Costa Rica, next on Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, travel for us is Costa Rica. Erin Van Rienen moved to Costa Rica in the year 2002, and uh, she's lived all over the world, uh, in Nigeria, Mexico, Ireland, Guatemala, Ecuador, but she really found her second home was meant to be Costa Rica. So she wrote this book about how Americans can actually uh, retire or work in what's known as the Switzerland of Central America. Erin, it's great to have you with us. Thanks Thank for, you. Uh, great to be here. Yeah. Now, um, you've done a lot of traveling. You've seen a lot of the world. What is it about Costa Rica? I mean, Everybody just loves Costa Rica. Um, tell me just just what what it appealed about Costa Rica to you. Well, I love I love the natural beauty. I love the incredible diversity. It's a very it's a small country. It's only about uh, it's smaller than West Virginia, and yet it has incredible diversity. There's almost a hundred volcanoes, forty two of them active. There are fertile rainforests like down in the Osa Peninsula. There are gorgeous beaches. But more than that, it appealed to me because of its political and economic stability. And when you're looking for a second home, that becomes much more important. That's an interesting issue because what appeals to me in Central America is going to places that have the struggle, you know, El Salvador and Nicaragua uh, and Guatemala. But if I was going to retire somewhere, I think I'd rather retire in Costa Rica. Exactly. When, you, when you're looking for long term and you're looking to buy property and maybe start a business, right. then you're looking for something a little bit more stable. I agree. It's, it's very exciting to go to places like Nicaragua that are still coming out of some of their troubles and right. other places. But to actually live there, to put down roots... Then you start looking at different elements. Now, why did Costa Rica luck out? I mean, here it is, the Switzerland of Central America. That can mean a lot of things. To me, that means the country that avoided all the wars. I mean, uh, Costa Rica, I I don't believe Costa Rica even has an army, does it? Exactly. They abolished their army in 1949. And so for over 50 years, power has basically changed hands very peacefully. There There have been no military coups. There are no guerrillas. There have been no revolutions. There are no political prisoners. And they, they're very proud of their democratic traditions, and they're very proud of their pacifism. Um, and so it's, it's, it's drawn people who are interested in, in a very peaceful, stable uh, life. And, and, and that, you know, they, some of the multinational corporations have their headquarters in San Jose, which is the capital of Costa Rica, mm-hmm. everybody from Intel to Johnson and & Johnson. And, and so the, poli- the political situation is very stable, and the economic situation is very stable. Now, this is a compliment to the government, uh, I think, for a nation to be able to have no army, because my understanding is that the armies of Central America, their primary uh, purpose is to defend the government against its own people. Oh, that's a good point. Yes, yes. And they, they don't feel like they need that in Costa Rica, so they don't need an army. And they, do, they put the money that other countries put into the military to have near-universal health care, which is another huge draw for people from North America. Because, as you know, people up here, I think it's 45 million Americans are without health insurance. And in Costa Rica, I think it's about 96% of the people in the country are covered by the national health care. Yeah, but we have a big army. <laughs> Come on, what do you want? Health yes, care and army. Do. We do. Right. Now, Oscar Arias Sanchez. To me, he is sort of legendary. He was the president of Costa Rica back in the 1980s and got the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. He sure did. And, and Costa Rica is so proud of him. And what's interesting is that they elect their president every four years, just like we do. But unlike us, they had a law that said presidents can only serve one four-year term. They cannot have two terms. But because Oscar Arias was so popular, um, they're, they're thinking of changing that rule, and he, he may actually run for, re-elect, for, for election in 2006. So you may see him again. Wow, they'd change their rule just because he's so beloved. It's, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but, but yes, and it's not for sure yet, but it's looking like they're going to change that rule and um, ex-presidents can run again, and he would definitely be a contender. Wow. Now, my memory is he got in trouble with the United States back during his presidency. Uh, I believe he stood up to the United States in a way that um, developing countries have found it difficult to do, and he was even more beloved for that. Wow, you, you said that so delicately. <laughs> 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 Isn't it interesting to travel in Central America? Yes. It really is. When you go to Central America, I would recommend, sure, go there for the parrots and the palm trees and the surf, but read up on the politics and the economic situation and the struggles of the people before you go, because for me, that's one of the powerful experiences, to go down into Central America and see these people carving out beautiful lives for themselves against pretty great odds. Yes. Actually, that's, that's beautifully put, and I, I, I agree. I agree. The cultural—and it's interesting, because— um. I think 
dedicated and intrepid travelers, the ones that are interested in the culture of a country, I think the next logical step for them is often a long-term stay. Maybe they'll stay Mm -hmm. a year and work. Maybe they'll study the language. Mm -hmm. But I think for people who are really interested in the culture, it starts to become the logical next step to stay there for more than 10 days or two weeks. And that's what you have focused on in your guidebook. I'm talking with Erin Van Rienen, who writes the Living Abroad in Costa Rica guidebook published by Avalon Travel Publishing. And uh, Erin is uh, splitting her time between California and Costa Rica, and uh, it's just uh, great to have you talking with us. I want to go to the phones and uh, let some of our listeners uh, uh, ask you a question. Erin, we've got Brian on the line from Michigan. Hi, how are you doing? We're good. How are you doing? Well, I've, uh, I've taken students there. I teach high school Spanish, and I've taken students there before um, on student-led trips where we get to experience the culture and the parrots, as you put it, um, and some of, some of the more touristy areas. But my fiancé and I are thinking about going to Costa Rica for our honeymoon. Um, I love the country, and I wouldn't mind going there. I was just wondering, Aaron, if you had any thoughts on any places that would be a little bit more out of the way where we could experience the culture um, and also have that I guess, romantic, and and some natural beauty areas that we could maybe go visit. Well, that's a great question, Brian, and it's interesting because I think Costa Rica is becoming more and more popular for people to get married or take their honeymoon down there, and a lot of hotels are starting to specialize in weddings and honeymoons, Hmm. so they're kind of catering to the people who who, who want a getaway, basically. And there are many, many different places to go. You mentioned that you've been there before, and you probably went to some of the more touristed areas, so I would imagine you probably went to Manuel Antonio National Park near Capos. Sounds familiar, yeah. Which is a, it's a, it's a great start. It's only three hours from the international airport. You may also have been to Monte Verde, which is a great mountain town settled by Quakers that left Alabama. Uh, they were draft resistors. That's, when you talk about sort of secret spots, um, I am in love with the Osa Peninsula. And you, if you look at the map of Costa Rica... It's on the Pacific coast, and it's way down towards Panama. It's way down on the southern Pacific. It's where you find um, one of the most interesting national parks called Corcovado National Park. And that is what's called, um, they call that Costa Rica's Amazon. And it's one of the, I think National Geographic called it, the most, one of the most biologically intense places on Earth. And it's wow. incredibly biodiverse, and it's where the, few remaining jaguars roam, and you can see scarlet macaws and crocodiles, and it's just amazing, and it's pretty out of the way. So this is Osa, O-S-A, Peninsula. O-S-A, Peninsula. Way down by the border of Panama. Exactly. Is that real close to, like, Jurassic Park and all that? (laughs) Just south of that. Just south of Jurassic Park. Just south of Jurassic Park. And there, you know, what's interesting about Costa Rica is you, you, you know, you drive with your high-clearance 4x4 on these you know, pretty pretty difficult roads, or you you fly with a little puddle jumper, and you're 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 in the, you're in the outback, you're you're in the middle of nowhere, and yet there are these very deluxe lodges mm-hmm. and beautiful hotels that really pamper you. So it's kind of a nice combination, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you any particular hotels because they they you know they 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 have a presence on the internet, and you can do a great internet search. But that's a great geographical area, the Osa Peninsula. You can you can approach it from two sides. You can approach it from the Puerto Jimenez angle. You can fly into Puerto Jimenez, or you can go to Drake's Bay, which is on the mm-hmm. other side of the peninsula. And Drake's Bay is very close to a place called Caño Island that has the best snorkeling in Costa Rica. You take a boat out from Drake's Bay. I went there recently, and I saw an amazing variety of sharks, of giant rays, of giant sea turtles, and we were just snorkeling. We didn't even have tanks on our backs. Brian, you take students to Costa Rica. Is that what you said? Yeah, absolutely. These are study groups? Uh, actually, it's uh, just students that are interested in doing uh, travel abroad during the summer, uh, apart, from, apart from the Spanish studies, yeah. I see. How does that work for you? Is that good for the, for the students? It's phenomenal. Um, I only do trips that have homestays because I want the kids to really experience the culture and use the language. So they're learning, they're beefing up their language skills, there's a lot of flora and fauna and natural stuff, and also the uh, economic realities and the struggles of the people and so on? Absolutely, and it's a great experience for the kids, and right. I tell them it's it's not a vacation, it's, it's a continuation of the classroom, but it's a lot more fun than learning grammar. <laughs> Good for you, that's great. Hey, Brian, thanks for your call. Thanks, Rick, appreciate it. You bet. We have Scott on the line in Irvine, California. Yeah, hi. Hi, how are you doing? Good. 
First of all, I want to say, Rick, we're huge fans of yours. Well, thank you. Uh, we have all your books. That's great. We've traveled all over Europe, and uh, you really caught me by surprise here. I'm deep in the uh, subarctic. I, I'm in Irvine, California, but I'm deeply involved in Never Cry Wolf right now. So I'm getting good memories going back to 95 to 98 when my wife and I lived in Costa Rica. Yeah. Um, and I taught um, literature at a private school. Huh. Uh, and we have fond memories. We want to retire down there. So I'm curious about... Uh, a place that you would recommend um, that might be in your book uh, that um, you would recommend that would be in the Guanacaste area. We want sort of a drier climate. We love the Osa as well, and we've been to Corcovado a few times, but uh, it's very hot and humid down there. My wife also wants to know where we'd get Salsa Lizano in the United States. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Aaron Van Rienen, the, the author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica, you're the right person to ask. Where would you recommend uh, that Scott retire? In well, it's great. It sounds like you already know the country pretty well, and you've already pinpointed the kind of climate you want, so you're way ahead of the game. And if you're looking for dry, uh, you know, a, a great sunny environment, definitely you want Guanacaste. And the northern part of Guanacaste, which is the northern part of the Nicoya Peninsula, we're talking Tamarindo, Playas del Coco, Playa Potrero, that's probably where you've been, and that's where a lot of expats settle. Um, it's, a, it's gorgeous. You barely get a drop of rain between December and April. That's uh, Costa Rica's dry season or summer. And um, the beaches are marvelous. There's surfing. You can see giant sea turtles laying their eggs. And there's sort of a critical mass of foreign residents, enough that the, the services there are, are a little bit better than they would be in mm. some place like the Osa Peninsula, which is uh, less frequented. So um, you've probably been to Tamarindo, and you know that that's a, quite, a, quite a, a surf kind of party town. So I would probably recommend that you go a little further north or a little further, further south from Tamarindo, there's just an endless array of beach towns, and it, you, you can fine-tune, like, how isolated you want to be. You know, do you want to be in a gated community, or do you want to be on the top of the hill with nobody around you? Do you want to be on the beach? Mm -hmm. But I think you've made a good choice in, in, um, in targeting northern Guanacaste. It's a great place. Scott, I'm just paging through Aaron's book, Living Abroad in Costa Rica, and it covers everything. And if you're even halfway thinking about retiring uh, down there, you've got to check this out. And it's got types of residency, moving with pets, uh, learning the language, pharmacies and prescriptions, environmental factors, safety, the job hunt, self-employment, and on and on. Hey, what okay. is with this salsa lisano? Yeah. Well, that's our that's a fantastic uh salsa that you just uh can't get in any other country. That's the the uh the the, the salsa that is um, it's a little bit like maybe an A1 uh, an A1 steak sauce. Right. Um but it's on just about every table in every restaurant. It comes with the um the uh, casado, which is their kind of like uh, their plate of the day, which has rice and beans, a uh, little salad on it. Sometimes it has um, platanos, which they call maduros, which are the uh, ripened plantains that they fry, kind of, kind of like the, a Cuban dish. Uh, and then it has, of course, chicken or beef or fish as your main entree. Well, you're making me hungry. All right. Yeah, that's definitely the best thing to order when you're in Costa Rica is the casado, and it translates as the married man. And the idea that is that when you get married and you're a man, you start to get this full meal at lunchtime. You know, and as, as uh, Scott was saying, it's uh, meat. You can usually have chicken, fish, or beef, and rice and beans and a little salad, and it's always the best deal on the menu. You can often get it for two or three bucks. But as for salsa lisano, yeah. I don't know what to tell you, but you're giving me a good idea. Maybe I should start to import it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you, we have friends bring it back every time they go down there, and we're out now. And we're oh. just, we're, we need to go down there soon. Yeah, I think that's the sign. Yeah. All right. Hey, Scott, thanks for your call. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, um, Aaron, I want to go through some of the emails that people have sent in. And uh, Glenda from Laramie, Wyoming, wonders, is land in Costa Rica expensive or is it a good investment? Oh, that's a great question. And before I even uh, tackle the idea of price, the one thing I want people to know is that in Costa Rica, foreigners have almost identical property rights as locals, hmm. which is very unusual in Central America. Second thing is that 
land is of course more uh, is of course less expensive in Costa Rica than it is in the hot spots in the United States how could it not be it is uh, but it's not one of the cheapest in Central America um you can get good deals but you have to look for them and another thing that people should know if they're thinking about real estate is that anybody in Costa Rica can be a realtor anybody can hang out a shingle and say that they're representing properties there's no licensing no licenses there's no oversight so you got to be very wary would you hire a local lawyer well like you could hire a local lawyer but basically the main thing i think if people are really thinking about relocating there and really thinking about property is they have to stick around for a while right. and get the lay of the land and and start to know the people in the community and get recommendations so rent an apartment for a few months and, exactly. and make sure this is where you want to speak well let's say you're in a small town not the capital and you find a, a decent home in a comfortable neighborhood just ballpark what would you spend oh gosh well if it's not one of the touristy right. uh places right. which can just be very expensive i'd say you could get a really nice uh, maybe two or three bedroom apartment for a hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand. Okay, and remember, you've got the most stable um, country in all of Central America to call home. Then exactly. Yeah, Robin in Martinez, California, wonders: Is it easy to book excursions or activities while in the country, uh, or do I miss? Do I risk missing a lifetime experience by not booking before I leave the United States? Uh, that's a good question. A lot of people want to drop in and, and get their bearings and then commit themselves to some side trips or some tours. Uh, is that doable, Aaron? It's very doable. The only thing is, it depends on how much time you have. If you only have six days, then I would advise booking ahead. But if you have a little time to spare and you can you can be flexible, there's lots you can do when you're on the ground. And there are so many tour agencies and there's so many people that will offer you help. And sometimes it's even better to wait till you get there because you get a better idea yeah. of, of how, how far you want to go and how much you want to do. And I would imagine you'd save money generally by having the, the nerve to go down there and see what's available. Always. I'm talking with Aaron Van Rienen, the author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica, and Aaron has a website, livingabroadincostarica.com, and she uh, runs a side business helping people plan their retirements or their escape to Costa Rica. Laura from Enumclaw, Washington, she's wondering about staying in hostels. Do they have uh, safe, clean hostels in Costa Rica? They do. Uh, San Jose has, I think, three of them, and they're they're very they're very reasonable Probably and very they're very safe. Often they um, they close down at 11 p.m. Um, around the country, there are fewer hostels, but you can find very reasonable accommodation um, pretty much anywhere you go. Costa Rica is probably not a place where you need a youth hostel to save money. You can get a humble uh, a little guest house or something. Exactly. But a hostel would be a fun place to stay in just for the um, social, to connect with other travelers. Exactly. The secrets of the summer I will Sands of time will blow away mystery No one but you and I Underneath that moonlit sky Take me back to the place that I know On the whether you'll want to retire in Costa Rica or just visit, there's more you'll want to know. Coming up in a minute on Travel with Rick Steves. I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves. Right now, we're traveling to Costa Rica, and I've got Aaron Van Rienen with me, who is the author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica. Aaron, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Costa Rica. This is, uh, people call it the Switzerland of Central America. Uh, to me, uh, Costa Rica is the sort of the blessed country of Central America. They don't have any of the terrible recent history. Uh, so many people are choosing Costa Rica as a place to retire, and it must be head and shoulders the most popular destination in Central America for Americans uh, heading south. Um, why is that? Well, you're right. In fact, um, Costa Rica gets over a million visitors a year, which is about six times what neighboring Nicaragua gets. Wow. Um, the reasons are it's incredible natural beauty and it's economic and political stability. And um, they're, very, they're a very peaceful country. They abolished their army in 1949. Hmm. And uh, in Central America, historically, the purpose of having an army is for a government to protect itself against its people. So the people and their government must get along pretty well in Costa Rica. They have a pretty good relationship, yes. And they're very proud of their democratic traditions. What's with the nickname that uh, Costa Ricans have, Ticos? Oh, Ticos. Well, 
Costa Ricans, like, like many Latin Americans, love to, to use a diminutive, and they put eco on the end of it, everything to make it like uh, a little thing, like uh, minitico is one little tiny minute. Huh. And so because they use that so much, they call themselves ticos. They call themselves ticos. So that's their nickname all over Central America. Yes. Uh, it must be a tico. <laughs> All right. Also, when you're, in, when you're in Costa Rica, people think of it as a place for incredible natural wonders. Is that really the, the, the main reason why people go to Costa Rica to enjoy uh, the lush natural environs? Definitely. I think probably 80% of the people that go there go and they visit national parks, and there are 33 of them. And the national park system is stellar. It's amazing because 25% of the country is set aside in parks and reserves, and that's more than any other country that I know of. And the parks are incredible. There's Manuel Antonio, which is on the Pacific coast, Corcovado, which is down on the Osa Peninsula, Tortuguero on the, uh, on the Caribbean coast. And it's almost like the government thought this is going to be good for business. I mean, what a great thing. Just natural parks and then huge amounts of money comes into the country in the form of tourism to appreciate those. Exactly, exactly. What about uh, just adventure travel and recreation, surfing, rafting, this sort of thing? Oh, it's big. Surfing is very big in, in, in Costa Rica. It's like once you start meeting planes at the San Jose's International Airport and you see how many of the passengers have board bags, you know it's a surfing mecca. Wow. And there's great surfing on the Pacific and the Caribbean coast. Now, when people fly into Costa Rica, they will uh, anticipate spending about how much per day. Let's say you're going down there as a budget traveler. You're not worrying about reservations in advance. You've got a good guidebook. What is it going to cost you per day to eat and sleep? Oh, gosh, that's a hard one. But if you're really frugal, I think you could do it for $50 a day. So it's not, it's not as cheap as some of the other countries. It isn't. It isn't. But when you, when you, when you are considering where, where you want to go, you have to consider not only cost of living but sort of standard of living. And it's a, it's a fairly well-off country in that, you know, it has universal health care, the road. Well, I won't, I won't talk about the roads because they're in bad shape. But it's a, it's a very stable place, and that's priceless. That is very important. And, um, yeah, right. How can you put a price on that? Now, there's a, a sort of a slogan down there that white people are called leafcutter ants. What is meant by that? Well, I wouldn't call it a slogan. I don't think, I don't think many of the, 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 <laughs> the people down there would say that. But on the Caribbean coast, there are many indigenous peoples, the Kabekar, the Bribri, and others. And they have myths that talk about the difference between white people, who they consider of Spanish descent, who are most of Costa Ricans, and indigenous people. And they say the white people are leafcutter ants because, as if anybody knows, if anybody has ever seen a leafcutter ant or colonies of leafcutter ants, they dismantle trees, basically. They, they cut the, the leaves up little by little, and then they take them back to their, their anthills. And basically, they decimate uh, trees. And so they are making, the, the indigenous peoples of Costa Rica are making this analogy that white people are like leafcutter ants and that they're very hardworking, but they destroy the natural world. Now, it seems like uh, Costa Rica is a little more uh, progressive and, and on-the-ball government than to let uh, corporations just rape the landscape like that. Is this an environmental problem? Well, they do a, a they do a really good job, better than a lot of their neighbors. But you know, it's a it's a constant struggle. I mean, some people argue that you know the economic development is more important than than leaving the environment intact. So it's a constant it's a constant struggle. Because mm-hmm. there are serious environmental problems in other Central American cover, countries where a heavy rainstorm w- washes away so much of the land in mudslides because they've taken down the trees. Well, Costa Rica has has problems too. Even even with the trees there, it's just they they get a lot of extreme weather and they suffer from it. Yeah, and the weather gets more extreme as the planet warms up. Yes, this is an unfortunate consequence of uh, global warming: is that the rain comes in torrents instead of in trickles, and, exactly. and then it doesn't have time to be absorbed, and it tends to wash away the topsoil, uh, making it tough for the local people to have a sustainable. Uh, living. Hey, we're talking with Aaron Van Rienen, who is the author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica. And Aaron wrote this book so she could help others avoid making the mistakes she made. At least that's what you wrote in your introduction. Tell me some of the mistakes you made, Aaron, that inspired you to write this book. Well, I don't want to spill the beans too much, but in, sh- in, in essence, I thought I could do it all by myself. 
and I realize you really need help, and the help is available. I mean, the help is available in books, of course, but the help is available in, in the terms of other expats who will tell you their experiences, who will help you avoid making errors with in real estate and everything. So I basically had, had to learn how not to think I could do it all by myself. And your book has sources of information, so people who are wondering about moving and buying a house, getting a job, whatever, they can uh, learn from your mistakes rather than their own. Yes. Yes. Hey, we've got some callers on the line. Let's talk to Jim in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Thanks for your call. What are you thinking about? Well, I appreciate this new interest in your shows in Central America or wherever you're traveling. Uh, my wife and I both enjoyed your books for Europe. We had two extended trips there and made good use of your material. Well, it's a big world, much more than Europe, isn't it? Yes. All yes. right. It's interesting. Uh, my wife and two of our children actually went to uh, Costa Rica for a couple of weeks two Christmases ago. So we got to see quite a bit of the country. And I guess one of my questions would be, I don't know how long her research has been going on, but if she could answer the question as to the direction of development that, that Costa Rica is going into, and I know she's touched on the roads a couple of times, uh, but I, you know that may be kind of a general question, but uh, she could kind of... In other words, how's the economy? Not so much the economy, but where is it really going? Because we saw all levels. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we saw the, the rougher ends, we saw the gated community ends, and all, everywhere in between was like we said, kind of rougher roads, but can she give some sort of sense of what direction the, the government's trying to lead the country, or is there such a thing? Right. Well, that's a very good question, and last time I was down there, which was um, November, December of last year, it seemed like a country under construction. I mean, there were hotels and housing developments going up everywhere I looked. It's in, it's, there's explosive growth there right now, and it would be hard for me to predict what it would be, what it would look like in say ten years. But there are some communities that are trying very hard to have growth plans and not to have unrestricted growth. And so it's it's kind of it's it's a battle that's being fought kind of on a community by community basis. And some of them already have great growth growth plans, and some of them are just out of control. But it's, a, it's an interesting combination of underdevelopment and overdevelopment because even the so-called overdeveloped places have uh, lacks in basic infrastructure like garbage collection, roads, sewage. So it's, it's struggling. It's struggling because it, things are growing so fast that, that uh, the, the, the services can't keep up with them. Hmm. Yeah, we, we found the same thing. Interesting. Jim, we got to move on to some other calls. Okay. Thanks for Thanks, your call. Rick. Appreciate mm -hmm. it. Bye now. 877-333-RICK. This is Travel with Rick Steves. we got Alan on the phone from Dallas. Alan, hello. Hi, how are you doing? Great, thanks for your call. We had a, uh, a wonderful experience a couple of years ago. I, I took the wife and, and three kids, two college kids and a high school kid, to, um, to Costa Rica. And my idea was that we would kind of have our cake and eat it, too, that well, I would find a nice resort with a beach for uh, the lady folks, and then for for me, uh, I wanted to get near uh, Arenal and the and the rainforest and things like that. And I naively uh, uh, picked a uh, a resort on the, in the Guanacaste province uh, on the on the shore because I thought, oh, you know, everything's 100, 110 miles from there. We can hop in the car, you know, and we can just jump over there and see all this. And that was uh, you mentioned there and the the roads. Uh, I was obviously very naive about the the road situation, and to think about going to Arenal from uh, from where we were was, you know, five to six hours. You know, uh, they would tell us on, by uh, by car if it if uh, if it didn't go well, and so the, we had a great time. We really enjoyed ourselves, and we just ended up going to Tamarinda and some of the other areas. But it was a wonderful experience for our, our kids. Uh, to we, we we stayed obviously in a very nice place, but then. Any place you get out to, uh, it's it wasn't touristy. Uh, you saw people living up close and personal. Um, you would go even get in a tamarindo, I was I think ten uh, kilometers off a paved road, a washboard road that would go down to Tamarindo, which was supposed to be one of the neater areas. It was a wonderful experience for us to um, uh, see that and and to be involved with that. We'd be driving down the road, and all of a sudden, some cattle would literally stop us uh, for 15, 20 minutes as some kids on uh, bicycles would uh, take these cattle down the road. So we felt like we were in a National Geographic experience wow. for, for most of the time. So, Alan, lousy roads, but worth the trouble and a rich experience for your children. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm curious, Aaron, if uh, my wife and I were to go back there and we wanted to get uh, uh, closer to uh, uh, you know these other places, is there kind of a silver bullet destination that you'd say, you know, for for you guys that aren't going to camp out but you want to get close to this, is there a, des- a destination you would highly recommend? Well, that's a great question, and and I agree with you that um, even though it's a very small country, it can take a lot of time to get around. And sometimes it will take you two hours to go 30 miles. Exactly. And um, it sounds like you went to some, some of the great hot spots like the Arenal Volcano, which is gorgeous. I just uh, It's one of my favorite places. I can't get enough of it. To, dra- to drag the kids, it was just too far uh, to go. It would have been a, you know, like a 10-hour round trip. Uh, so we never got that close. Okay, well, one place that's real close that's one of the most popular national parks is called Manuel Antonio. Mm-hmm. You may have gone to that. It's by Capos, which is also a sport fishing place. And Manuel Antonio is on the Pacific Coast. It's about three hours from the International Airport in San Jose. So it's a, it's a great place in that it's, uh, it's, you get sort of up close and personal with nature. There's almost guaranteed sightings of monkeys and sloths. But it's not that kind of 10 hours on the back roads thing that you were talking about. Terrific. Thanks a lot. And the Guanacaste Coast is always one of the first stops on any traveler's list. Um, I could also recommend the Caribbean Coast, which is only about two and a half hours from San Jose, and it's easier to get around a little bit. Oh, good word. Well, that, that would be nice. It was it was just a surprise, and I'm I'm in I'm in Texas. You know, we're used to roads, and I felt like such a you know a, a, a dumb American going down and assuming that everything would be uh, like it is here. So, but what's what's nice life. about those those roads is they they force you to slow down. Absolutely, no, <laughs> it turned into a blessing in disguise. We yeah. saw things and uh, that we would not have seen otherwise, and so it it, it you're exactly right. Uh, at the end of it, we were we, we didn't find it to be a problem. It was just an adjustment. All right. That's great. Alan, thanks a lot for your call. Thank you. All right. Hey, Catherine from Greensboro, North Carolina, she wants to know if you can provide information on a family-friendly trip that's not an all-exclusive resort, but a safe, eco-friendly, and informational experience for their children. Oh, gosh. Well, there are so many eco-friendly places there, lodges. I would, the the one, I would really recommend Costa Rica Expeditions. They they are one of the oldest uh, outfits. They're based in San Jose, and they'll set you up with you know you they'll set you up staying in one particular place, or if you want to, you know if you want to go to many places, they'll do it. But um, I would really uh, emphasize Manuel Antonio National Park. First of all, which, Costa Rica Expeditions was that what yes. it was called? So yeah. people could just Google Costa Rica Expeditions Definitely. and find yeah. that. Okay. And it's it's I've had nothing but good experience with with okay. them and and good reports from everybody. Manuel Antonio is wonderful because it's easily accessible. Um, the hikes within it are very flat. Uh, as I was saying, you're almost guaranteed to see monkeys and sloths. Kids absolutely love it. So that's the best park, most accessible park for families, Manuel Antonio? Manuel Antonio, and um, very close to the capital, uh, right. probably 30 minutes from the capital, capital are two um, national parks that are, uh, that are volcanoes. One is Poas, P-O-A-S. Mm-hmm. The other is Irasu, which is I R. Now, what are we? There's like 42 live volcanoes in Costa Rica? Yes, there are. Wow. We have Beverly on the line in Florida. Thanks for calling. Hi. Uh, my husband and I are seniors planning a, a, probably around a week's vacation next December or January. We see on the Internet about flying into Liberi- the Liberian airport. And uh, having heard what Aaron says about the Osa Peninsula, we'd like to uh, visit there, too. Is that Corcovado National Park? Yes. 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 So you're thinking of flying into Liberia, which is in northern Costa Rica, and that's a great choice if you want to be in northern Guanacaste and go to the beaches like Tamarindo, Playas del Coco, Ocotal. Um, the Osa Peninsula is at the far end of the, the other side of the country. Ah. So... Um, if you wanted to do both, if you wanted to do the northern beaches and the Osa Peninsula, what you could do is is book a, a flight on a small plane, which would probably cost you about $60, $70. You could fly from Tamarindo to Puerto Viejo, which is the gateway to Corcovado National Park. So you can fly within Costa Rica. That's probably a very common thing to do in such a jungly country for less than $100 a hop. 
It's very popular, especially with people who have more money than time. If you have a lot of time, you know, you might want to just take buses or get there how you can. But if, you're, if you only have a week, those flights are a godsend. Uh, I, w- I was wondering, too, uh, what about zip lines? How is that different from a canopy tour, or are we talking about the same thing? They're just uh, two ways of saying the same thing, and they're very fun. Okay. Um, you've probably seen pictures of them. There's steel cables that are strung from one tree to the next, and you clip into them, and you're, you're in kind of a harness, and you zip along that line. And the idea is that you're, you're in the treetops and you're seeing birds and wildlife up close. But in my experience, you're going so fast, everything is a blur. Wait a minute. Beverly, Beverly, you're asking about, I see on the notes here, you're asking for discounts for seniors. Are you going to be ziplining? <laughs> <laughs> I sure would like to. That sounds I, like a hoot. Uh, it, it, can someone go with you? Because I'm assuming it's a it's a gravity thing, and I'm a very small person. No, you got. I mean, you, there there are people that are clipping you in. They're making sure you're safe. But when you're going on the line, it's just you. Wow. Ah, I thought maybe it was kind of like uh, uh, parachute no. dropping. Right. <laughs> but it's really fun. Can people it's of all really ages? Fun. My mother did it, and she loved it. Did she? Yes. So, Aaron. This is something people of all ages who are just reasonably fit can do? Yes, it's just, it's, 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 you don't need to, it's not like you need strength or anything. You just need to be a little adventurous. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great, Beverly. Let us know how that goes. Thanks. Thanks for your call. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So you're just like uh, Tarzaning through the jungle. Exactly. Oh, wow. It's really fun. So you got great surfing. You got great zip lining. Yeah. You got uh, sort of, uh, tell me some other natural thrills you can have. In, I mean, um, this river is... rafting is really popular. Um, there's, there's a wonderful river called the Reventafon, which means the exploding river. And it can get, it can get pretty hairy. But you, there are river, there's river rafting, every, everything from, you know, float along with your feet up to you better get ready for that next rapid. There's great windsurfing at Lake Arenal, which is just by the volcano Arenal. Wonderful hiking. You know, everything from ambling along a flat trail to summiting Mount Chiripo, which is the highest peak in Costa Rica. It's about 12,000 feet. Aaron, thank you so much for your insight into Costa Rica. We've been chatting with Aaron Van Rienen, the author of Living Abroad in Costa Rica. Hope to talk to you again soon, Aaron, and uh, I've got to start thinking more about visiting Costa Rica. Thank you, Rick. I think you'll love it. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com, where you can look up information on this and other programs in this series. You can also participate in discussion boards on a variety of travel topics and submit your questions and comments. That's at ricksteves.com. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.